Our scripture reading today is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 13. And our sermon title today is Christ is our purity. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 13. And this is the Lord's word. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Are you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old lemon, old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you my letter not to, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. As we continue our study in 1 Corinthians, we see that Paul has an intense love for the people at this church. And we see that because his anger, his sarcasm, comes out in this letter. He's angry because people are not following the ways of the Lord. He's angry because people are declaring themselves as believers of Christ, and yet their own life doesn't match with their confession. But even more than that is that the church itself has not even, not simply overlooked the transgression, but has accepted the transgression. Because of that, Paul writes these letters with, with passion. For his desire is to see the church to repent, for the purity of the bride to remain. 
when we read this passage, you can hear the difficulty in Paul's voice, but also you can probably hear and understand the difficulty of the people in Corinth and for us, the difficulty of hearing and applying such a passage. People often ask the question, where in the Bible can you find a teaching of church membership? Why is it important to become a member of a local church? Where in the Bible does it say that you need to go to a church, you need to take a class, you need to take an oath, and then you, some churches, you sign a document, and you're officially a member of that church. What's the purpose of that? We see here in this passage an example of church membership, an example of church discipline. And it's something that we as God's people have to become very comfortable with, not in the sense that we enjoy it, but to know that the exercise of discipline within the body of Christ is just and necessary to keep the church on the path toward the Lord. Show me a family where a child is not disciplined, and I'll show you a family in shambles. Show me a business where people aren't kept accountable, and I'll show you a business that will fail. Show me a church that does not keep the standards of Christ, and does not keep each other in check to walk with the Lord, and I'll show you a church that's on its way towards death. Here in this passage is, is an example of one such person. Here's an example of a church that has lost its way. And so as we go through this passage, I pray that in your hearts that you don't fear discipline, that you don't fear giving rebuke and receiving rebuke, that you don't fear when two or three people come in Jesus' name to sit you down and lovingly express their concern for you, that you don't take offense. that you seek it and embrace it. Not only for the good of yourself, but for the purity of the church. So what's happening here? There is someone among them who is sexually immoral. And it's a kind of morality that not even the pagans in the day of Corinth would understand. You have to understand that the people in Corinth were all already sexually immoral in, in the most obvious ways that you can think of. Sleeping together before they're married. Sleeping with various partners at the same time. 
um, sleeping with same same sex partners, and it was sort of the normality of its day. Perhaps even we, you know, growing up in our society here, we we see the same thing. Sex is sort of normal in our day. Who have you slept with? Why haven't you slept with someone yet? What? It's a part of our culture. We as Christians, you know, growing up, we, we understand that we, we need to sort of, we need to save sex for, for marriage because the purity and the, the blessing, the beauty of it comes out in its wholeness with the covenant promise between a, a man and a woman. And yet, within this church, Paul is incensed because it's a type of immorality that even the pagans or the world will look down upon. A man has taken his father's wife. Something that should be scandalous in the church, that would be scandalous in the world, has taken a tone of normality in the church. Paul calls them arrogant. That for some reason, that they have figured out a way to justify this in the church. Now, I love this example that, that Paul is given, giving because it's something that is very clear-cut to not only us as believers when you read God's word, but also just the natural man and instinct of the people around us. There is something wrong with this. And yet, the church somehow has learned to justify something that should be unjustifiable. In crisis, God, Paul is saying, instead of being arrogant and, and figuring out a way to justify this, the church should be in mourning of what is happening to the body of Christ. Do you believe this? And, th and I love this word here. They should be in mourning. There will be times in our church for rejoicing, for thankfulness. We will see people come to know Christ here. We will. We'll see people's lives change in an instant. We'll see people's love for his word grow. But if your idea of church is only that, then we have failed to understand church. There will be times of mourning in the body of Christ. Let me say it again. There will be times when someone may have to be disciplined, when a scandal arises in our church, and we won't just, hopefully we won't be justifying it like the Corinthian church does. But as Paul says here, we'll all be in mourning for when someone has fallen when sin has overtook.
we need to prepare as God's church always for the possibility of having seasons where difficulties arise, where relationships get strained because of sin. And the proper response, not justification, not lashing out, but sadness and mourning for what is occurring. And that is the proper response. That is the godly response. And so even though we don't have anything like this now, one day we will. And it's a part of the body life, the life of the body of Christ that is normative to who we are. Now, right now, it sounds like a downer, right? Let me keep going. <laughs> Let's see if we can lift your spirits up at the end. Paul goes on in verse 3, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, as I am, as if I am present. I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Now, in verse 3, Paul is still here as an apostle, has the power over this church. And what's interesting is that he pronounces judgment um, without even a case. Okay. There's two reasons why he can do this. One, he's an apostle. He has a special office in the sight of God, special insight in the sight of God. We have no more apostles nowadays. The second reason I believe that he's able to pronounce judgment like this is because this is a clear-cut case. This is not a case that, that needs adjudication. If someone is so, if sexual morality is so rampant that someone marries their mom's husband, scripture is, is, is clear about one man and one woman. Scripture is clear about adultery. There's no reason to try this case. But what about we as people who live in the 21st century? How is it that we are able to keep each other accountable and to grow the, the faith of the people here? Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles, please do open them up. If not, you can follow along. Matthew 18, verse 15 and on, talks about what to do when sin arises. Verse 15 says it this way. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if not, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. We are in charge of each other's lives, brothers and sisters. Our duty, in a sense, is to cut off sin before it blossoms. That if you see someone who is really struggling with sin, and God's giving you the eyes to see, and you do so after taking the, the speck out of your own eye, 
you go to your brother, your sister in humility and in secret. For you do not want to embarrass anyone. For your debt to restore. And you share with them and say, listen, I know you've been really wrestling with your sexuality. I caught you on some unsavory websites. I was just walking by. Hey, listen, when I, when I visited your house, I saw the way you treated your, your spouse. If I saw you treat your mom, your dad. Hey, what's going on there? Why are you so angry at them? But the brother and the sister are always there to rebuke one another and to be rebuked. You must, as Christians, you want and you need someone who will tell you the truth in love. If you purport to know Jesus, and you only want to hide from everyone in the church. I don't know if you really know Jesus yet. But the desire of the believer is not to hide from sin. But the desire of the believer is let sin be exposed so that it can be forgiven. Be a good brother, be a good sister. Rebuke well. Be a good brother, be a good sister. Receive rebuke well. But the second step is, is this, is someone rebukes you and you don't hear it? You need to take one or two other witnesses with you. Intervention, that's what they call it nowadays, right? You take two of your other friends with you and who have witnessed the same thing. Because that person might think, well, you're just seeing things, you're just making it up. And you go talk with that person again. And you pray, and you hope just the weight of having more people around will convince them that this isn't someone else's sort of imagination, that this something's actually happening. And you pray that you win them over repentance and restore to the body of Christ. Verse 17 goes on and says this, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a, as a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And when it says to tell the church, it doesn't mean to, in the middle of service, stand up and say, hey, so-and-so's. No, that's not what it means. Right? When you say, when you see, see hear the word church, it doesn't mean you make sort of this public spectacle of this whole thing. But when you see the word church here, you're talking about who represents the church, the leaders of the church. You go to the session. Or you, in, this, in the case of our church's context, you, you come to me. And then it's my job to adjudicate the matter. 
Now, what happened here was very simple. It's, it failed. And Paul, being the apostle, said, church, you failed. Elders, you failed to adjudicate well. And Paul, instead of letting this church die, calls it to repentance. You see, if I, as your pastor, and in the future, when we become a particular church and have elders, the job of the elders is to keep the purity of the church. If the leadership fails in recognizing that a sin has, ha a sin has ha been, um, a sin has occurred and needs to be addressed, what happens? You become arrogant. The church takes on this idea that such and such a sin is no big deal. And then those of you who do embrace Christ and his purity, you start to lead. And the church eventually withers. But our duty as brothers and sisters is to continue to look over the purity of, what is, of, of the church itself. Verse 9, he goes on and says, I wrote to you my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And again, he sort of make, allows us to understand that our job is not to sort of judge the world. We're not to go out into the world and go, here are sexually immoral people, therefore I should not associate with them. That's not what, that's not what Paul is saying. Because as he says, if, I, if that were true, then that means you have to come out of the world because... Almost everyone is sexually immoral, so what can you do? But when it says in Matthew 18, treat them like a tax collector or a Gentile, or to, to cast them out, what it means is to love them with the gospel, but not as people who already know the gospel, but as people who need the gospel. That's the call for you and for me. But it seems like this person or persons would not receive rebuke. And so the call from Paul is to what? The word we use today is excommunicate or expel them. Cast them out. Now, in our Presbyterian church, we have uh, different steps before we get to that. But the most extreme thing that we could do to take away their membership. To let them know, to let the church know that what has occurred is unacceptable. But to excommunicate doesn't mean that we toss them out and don't talk with them. That we toss them out and treat them like dirt. It means we treat them like someone who needs to know Christ again. And the call to love them is the same call to love them that we always have had. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, there are people in your lives, and there will always be people in your lives who appear to know Jesus, but they're like that seed drops in the rocky soil 
for the seed that drops in the thorny soil. The cares of the world takes takes it away. And they live like the world. There will be people who you have shared your, your heart with about God. That you've prayed with about God. That you rebuked each other with. That you've laughed and enjoyed fellowship with. When they leave, and some will leave, mourn and pray for them. The most difficult job of being a pastor for me, especially being in one place for a long time, I've been here since 2005, the most difficult thing for me is watching people who I think know Jesus walk away. We have in our presbytery a youth conference, and we've done that for 10, 11 years. I've seen so many people come through that youth conference who've grew up, who grew up here in Atlanta. I run into them everywhere, everywhere. Part of me is glad to see them. They're made in God's image. Part of me mourns. Please, Lord, help them to know you again or to know you for the first time. But your heart goes out in love and compassion for all of these people. There is a time where we're going to have to, as he says in verse 13, purge the evil person from among you. And this is the worst of worst cases. This is the case of the person who doesn't think they have sinned and who wants to stay at church. Most people, when they have issues with church, they just go. They don't want to deal with it. But this is a case where we as the church have to expel And why do we do this? And where's the joy behind all of this? There's two things that he talks about. Verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you, may, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The reason we do all of this is because of our love for our Lord Jesus above all else. We have lived a life with the old leavened bread. We have to live the life with the old self, a life of fear a life of simply um, condoning what the world is doing and in fact becoming like the world. A world where we are sort of imprisoned 
to ourselves. And we've seen that the old leaven is what God died for. It's what God died for. In this case of the sexual immoral person, we as Christians, I hope that you see and know that sexuality itself will never be our salvation. That pleasure itself, no matter how far you take, when you take as far as you can, that, that it leads to nothingness. It just evaporates. We see that Christ has died for that, that we want to live for him and honor him. Our joy is to see Christ in the midst of us. And to see people come to know Christ because Christ is our only joy. You know, sometimes we, we, feel, we feel like we can't, we don't want to rebuke people because we don't want to offend them. And let me tell you, when you say that, what you're really saying is that I'd rather offend Jesus than offend my friend. Think about that. Would I rather offend my spouse than a stranger? I'd rather offend the stranger than my spouse. And yet we offend God all the time because we fear what other people will say. Our hearts need to belong to Jesus and the beauty that is there. It's in that beauty that allows this church to thrive. When we mourn properly, what does that mean? It means that we're following Jesus properly. If we don't mourn and we're always arrogant about the way we live, We've got to check ourselves. We've offended God many, many times. Let's stop that. Let's enjoy the fellowship that he has for us. Second is this, is that that person who is living in sin, the only way to show them love is to expose that sin. The only way to, to love that person is to call them back to the Lord himself. And if it takes going all the way to the end where you have to expel them, then so be it. We do not want warm Christianity. We want hot or cold. Hot, those people who know the Lord, who are following it and following it in repentance and faith. Or cold, people who really start to recognize I don't believe Jesus. I really don't. Oh my goodness, I don't. For then those people have an opportunity to repent. But it's those who are warm in the middle, who we sort of allow to sort of fester in the Christian culture, they're the ones with no hope at all. And so our call is not out of malice, but our call to them is out of love. 
they too might repent and, re and return to you, Lord. I do hope your parents disciplined you when you got older. I do hope there was that time where your parents, in a sense, just fed you to the wolves, knowing that you would fail, that you were too arrogant to think that you would succeed. But your parents, in knowing that they needed to get that out of you, they tried talking with you, Man, it didn't work. You wouldn't want none of that. Maybe if you grew up in my generation, they try to beat it out of you. <laughs> and still, man, you didn't, you didn't listen. And so thirdly, the best thing to do, no longer protect them from it, but let them fail. With the hope that they will return. Brothers and sisters, our purity and our joy is Jesus and his standards. Our joy is to see people come to him and grow in him. Be a church that in your one-on-one -on -one conversations that you can talk truth and love with one another. Be that person who, you know, in our society today, gives permission to other people and say, please rebuke me. Please rebuke me. And if I get angry at you, don't worry, we'll still have our friendship. I'm just, I'm just, I'm the problem, not you. I need to learn how to take rebuke. But please keep rebuking me. And I've got to learn that, not you. And let the love of God be immense here that Christ may be glorified. Welcome to the church. <laughs> Welcome to its reality. But in the real church, you will find the real Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, um, there are parts of your Bible that are really, really difficult to hear, um, especially, Lord, in our context where we're just non-confrontational, Lord God, that we just sort of want things to clear up and we just sort of hope that things just change. And even if things don't change, we sort of just put them by the side. But, Lord, you tell us to... <sighs> Love one another. For the enemy is the only one who will just multiply kisses. But it's a good friend, Lord God, who has hard words for us. And so help us, Lord, to build friendships, a brotherhood and sisterhood that reflects your word. Lord, we do not want to be emboldened or uh, imprisoned by ourselves and our, the cultures that we grew up in. We don't want to make that an excuse. For you indeed can transform us to be people in love who can be people who can love one another with the love of Christ. 
We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.